Hey there, everybody. Welcome on into episode one of The Sco Show, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and a proud part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. As you might have guessed, my name is Mark Schofield. I will be your host for The Sco Show, and I cannot tell you, gentle listeners, how proud I am to be here. We have a fantastic show prepared for you, the debut episode of The Sco Show. But before we dive into that, I feel it's important to sort of establish the bona fides, as it were. For those of you who may not know who I am, hello. A fine, fine introduction. But many of you probably know who I am. My name is Mark Schofield. You can find me on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. And for the past couple of years, following a, shall we say, rocky decade as a lawyer in the Washington, D.C. area, I have been covering the game of football, sort of a second career, as it were. I helped start a website you might know, Inside the Pylon, which, believe it or not, grew out of a Boston Red Sox message board and initially began as a Patriot site. When we started back in September of 2014, we were covering basically the Patriots nonstop. I was writing four, five, six pieces a week about the New England Patriots, breaking down the offense, the passing game, the running game, the opposition, what to expect. That's how we started. Now, obviously, things have grown since then, and my career has gone on a different direction. But the Patriots have been in my blood since I was a kid. Bought and raised, bought and raised in the Boston area. Grew up in Waltham. Huge Patriots fan. And now I'm getting to continue to cover this team that I love. For the past two years, a lot of you probably know, I was the host of Locked On Patriots, a daily Patriots podcast. And that show, heavy on scheme, heavy on X's and O's, a lot of breakdowns of what happens on the field. That's always been my focus, what happens between the lines. And you can expect over the next weeks, months, years, hopefully, you're going to get more of that a couple of times a week, breaking down how things happen, why they happen, what to look for. And hopefully along the way, you get to learn something about the game. To continue a bit on my background, I grew up playing the sport, started playing it when I was nine, played it all the way through college, spent four years on the varsity roster at Wesleyan University. I've often joked that on the pantheon of Wesleyan football players who have gone on to a career in football, maybe I'm top four. Obviously, Bill Belichick, you've got Field GH, you've got the man genius. I'd like to think I'm next. Maybe Jeff Wilner, who was drafted by the Green Bay Packers, or if not drafted, at least signed, made it to a training camp. But I'd like to think I'm on the list. And this game has been... So great to me over the years. First as a player, now as an analyst. Those of you who aren't familiar with my work, it's heavy, like I said, on scheme. It's heavy on quarterback analysis because that's what I know. And thankfully, we got a pretty darn good quarterback to break down in number 12, TB12 himself, Tom Brady. And we're going to talk about him in a second. But I did feel it was important to sort of lay out the groundwork, lay out the bona fides, let you know that I'm an analyst. I try to tell it like I see it. Those of you that have listened to me before know that, you know, I don't hold things back. I'm not that much of a homer, although it seeps out at times. But at the same time, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to take some losses and some lumps along the way. For example, my affinity for Brett Rippon. I thought he was a great quarterback in last year's draft. That didn't turn out too well, although he did throw a touchdown pass in the Hall of Fame game, so I got that going for me, which is nice. But... More than anything else, I do want to just let you know that I consider this show, much like I considered Locked on Patriots, to be your show. And to that end, 
I have a Slack channel dedicated to listeners. It was a Slack channel dedicated to listeners of Locked On Patriots. We're now going to rename it a Slack channel dedicated to listeners of The Sco Show. If you would like to be a member, please, the more the merrier. We've got some great people in there talking about the Patriots all the time. We can talk about this show and other things. You can interact with me and other Patriots fans on a day-in, day-out, hourly basis. You can hit me up for an invite to that at Mark Schofield on Twitter or mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com if you'd prefer to send an email asking to be a part of that Slack channel. We'd love to have you there. We've got a lot of members, some people that are interactive all the time, some people that are more lurkers, like some family members of mine. But it's a fun, fun atmosphere to talk about the Patriots more, especially on game days. Now, having laid that out and having sort of laid out the vision of the show, as I said, we have a fantastic guest for you in a moment, the one and only Matt Waldman. Many of you know Matt Waldman at Matt Waldman on Twitter, the founder and the head of the Matt Waldman Rookie Scouting Portfolio, MattWaldmanRSP.com. Matt is a tremendous football mind, one of the smartest people out there when it comes to studying this game and particularly in the area of skill player evaluation. And Matt has been incredibly gracious to me over the years. I consider him a dear friend. He was my first guest when I started Locked On Patriots. When I started that two-year run, he was my first guest. So I thought it would only be fitting to have him as my first guest for this new show. So we will have a conversation here in a moment. We talked a lot about Tom Brady, Jared Stidham, the running back situation with Sody Michelle and Damian Harris, the wide receiver situation with Nikhil Harry and Jacoby Myers, and of course, I got his thoughts on the AFC East landscape for the present and the near future. But before my conversation with Matt, we do have a bit of news. Tom Brady reaches a contract extension. And an interesting aspect to this deal. It is an extension. However, according to the one and only Ian Rappaport, as well as others on the old Twitter machine, Tom Brady's new deal this is, again, a tweet from Ian Rappaport, includes a provision that does not allow New England to franchise or transition tag him for the 2020 season. The final two years automatically void. So the 2020 and the 2021 years of this extension, they automatically void on the last day of the 2019 year league, but he cannot be tagged. Brady will be a free agent. Now, two ways to look at this. One, This is something that teams have done recently with older quarterbacks. The biggest example is Drew Brees. This is how the New Orleans Saints have been able to sort of spread out his salary cap money over their contract period and to give them some relief from the massive cap hit that that contract could have been. And so this happens every year with Drew Brees. He faces... A situation where the final two years get voided or the final year gets voided on the last day of the league year. He can't be tagged. He becomes a free agent, but they always get a deal done. That's how they've done it with Breeze. Now they're doing it with Brady. So while at first blush this seems somewhat unnerving for fans like myself, I saw this first and I'm like, whoa, wait, what? It's a mechanism to sort of spread out the money, free up some space, And they've done it with Breeze. They're doing it with Brady now. But that being said, you might have gotten a sense of perhaps some frustration or consternation if you've seen Tom Brady speak to the media recently. For example, Phil Perry, who covers the Patriots for NBC Boston, and spoiler alert, he'll be our next guest on our next show. 
He's been doing a fantastic job. He always does a fantastic job covering the Patriots. But his Instagram feed is like must-see stuff. He's always recording quick videos and clips and putting them on his Instagram stories. And he got to ask Tom Brady about it. And you can see Phil, his reaction to it on a video that he posted on his Instagram stories, basically saying, you get the sense that Tom Brady isn't exactly thrilled with how this is going down. But that being said, this is how other teams have done it. And this is how the Patriots seem to be doing it with Tom Brady. Well, now, obviously, it will be a story. We'll ask Phil about it when we have him on on the next episode. But just wanted to touch on that here at the outset. Up next, my great conversation with the one and only Matt Waldman here on episode one of The Sco Show. Ed, we are back here on episode one and joined now by a fantastic guest. And this is a bit of a sort of personal tradition here. Uh, those of you that listen to Locked On Patriots know that when I had my first guest on the show, there was only one person I had in mind, and I thought I would keep that tradition alive. And it is an honor to welcome in one of the best minds in all of sort of football coverage and analysis, and someone I consider a true friend, and that is the one and only Matt Waldwin, Mr. Waldwin. Welcome on into the show. Hey, man, the honor is mine. I feel like a good luck charm. I think you are a good luck charm. And I will say that one of the phrases over at Locked On Patriots, which I've obviously brought over here, the, the idea of the big chair, that was a Matt Waldman invention. You know, <laughs> I, I think I said big chair, and you were like, oh, I think that's a big chair. I love that. And I've stuck with it ever since. So I owe you more than just the honor of being the first guest. It's the whole big chair idea and concept, I believe, is yours. Well, very cool. Let's make some good on this. How about I, I, we do that? That sounds fantastic to me. And before we dive in with Matt, remind everybody, check him out on Twitter at Matt Waldman. Check out the Matt Waldman RSP. I'm honored to do some work over there. Matt does fantastic work. We are headed into fantasy football draft season. Get your hands on a Matt Waldman rookie scouting portfolio, the pre-draft and the post-draft follow-up. You will win leagues with that. I promise you that. I know it from experience. So do check that stuff out. Matt, obviously some Patriots news here to start off with Tom Brady signing a short two-year extension you've seen Tom Brady over the years you saw him last year obviously win another Super Bowl how much do you think as somebody that studies the quarterback position how much do you think he still has left in the tank well I think two years is a good bet for the Patriots I mean I think that that's a that's a smart way to go it's a way of kind of honoring the fact that he still has it and at the same time recognizing the fact that the cliff could come fairly quickly and at any moment, but even two years is kind of an honor for a player of the, of his age, which tells you the confidence they have in his training. Also of the fact that when you look at the, the offense that they use, that they've used all his career for the most part is it, it matches well to his strengths and it minimizes his weaknesses. And when you get older, uh, you know, you hear Steve Young talk about this a lot. Steve Young always said that it seemed that the cruel curse of quarterbacking, it seemed like, is that the older you get, the quicker you process information, the more you recognize and identify and can adjust, but the more your physical school skills can be in decline. But Tom Brady has figured out how to really extend his career and go from being a guy who entered the combine with a dad bod and kind of came out of it being kind of more like a fitness model. I mean, this is a guy who's really embraced the work, the diet, um, and figuring out the combination of being of diet and exercise. And usually the diet's the hardest part and the one that's most ignored. And he's really gotten on top of that. And you can see, I mean, he's not, you know, he's gotten a little stronger this offseason, but, he, you know, he may not be 
the most never going to be the most athletic guy. He's never going to have the Matthew Stafford, Patrick Mahomes, you know, Aaron Rodgers gun. But he's a guy that is going to anticipate things well. He processes information great, and as long as he has the bare minimum arm strength to do what a starting quarterback needs to do in the NFL, especially in this offense where he doesn't have to emphasize the deep ball with high velocity, he's going to be fine. You know, Matt, you mentioned arm strength, and you and I have talked a lot over the years about quarterback play. Where are you on the importance of arm strength? Because you and I talked on a podcast last year about Josh Allen, and I said that, you know, I used to sort of not really emphasize arm strength, but Josh Allen has made me reconsider that. Where are you on arm strength, not just with Brady, but on quarterbacks in general? Well, I could joke and still say I'm in bah humbug mode about it. Right. But, <laughs> but I, compare, I, I would say that where I'm at is it really is about the match to the team and the scheme and what the team's looking for. That's the realistic answer. You know, if I'm thinking from an idealistic standpoint, my idealistic standpoint is it doesn't really matter um, as much. There's a minimum to me in terms of you know what you want what you want to see on the deep out what you want to see on the deep comeback you know certain types of throws that require velocity what is it that you're looking for and what's that minimum and stick to that and don't worry about it if it's not far over it and i'd say that that's my real answer but at the same time there may be certain offenses where the team philosophy just like Maybe the Ravens look for players who play with an edge and play with some toughness and, and really have a comfort level with physicality on a level that may be higher than other teams just because they emphasize it. I think that there are some teams where they may feel like they want a quarterback who, if he has to work outside the pocket or work from an off-balance position, that he needs to be able to throw the ball with velocity and solve problems with his arm strength and not just with his processing of information. And I think that, you know, from that standpoint, if that's what you're looking for and you know your team well enough to, to be able to say privately, because they're never going to say it publicly, but privately say, look, our offensive line's not that good, and we need, we need a guy who is going to be able to do some things with his arm that gets, up, gets us out of trouble and gives us a chance to win in ways that our offensive line will not and we know that it may be, you know, a two to three to three to four year situation for us to even rebuild that offensive line. And odds are that a lot of teams lose, a lot of coaches lose their jobs and GMs lose their jobs right. because of the fact that the, the quarterback is never able to uh, stand, you know, be in a situation where they can handle pressure in, in a way that's going to be productive without that arm. And I think Matthew Stafford's a good example of who's gone through plenty of coaches. He's still there, but the coaches are not. And some people may label him a coach killer, but I might say this is the first couple of years that he's had an offensive line that you look at and say there's some promise there. Yeah. Let's talk about maybe year three of this sort of calendar and timeline because we got Tom Brady now for two years. And like you said, it's a good bet for the Patriots, but there will be eventually life after Brady. Is Jarrett Stidham in your opinion, Matt, the answer, or at least a potential answer? I think he's a potential answer because you want to give players some level of respect on what they can become, what their development possibilities are. And New England knows that better than any team in the history of football with Tom Brady. So 
you look at Stidham and you understand that he is a highly athletic guy. He does have the big arm. He seems to do well in certain improvised scenarios, off script scenarios. Um, he's someone that you see flashes of really strong play. And some of that is both um, from a conceptual and mental standpoint, as well as the physical standpoint. So I think that when you see good things from a player that, that may bode well for him if he can become more consistent and and understand what it is that he's supposed to be doing from beginning to end in, in a wider variety of situations, that there is promise there. The question is, can he learn it fast enough and can he cover as much ground as he needs to to conceptually be that top-end quarterback? Because physically the tools are there, the mental conceptual part and, and really even the leadership part are the things that are the hardest parts to test when transitioning from the college game to the pro. And that's where the answers aren't there for him yet. In your mind, and this is kind of a how I felt about Stidham, he was one of the tougher evaluations of, of this entire last draft class. And there were some tough evals, Haskins, Murray. It was an interesting quarterback class. But you saw him on film, whether Baylor and Auburn, and like you said, there were flashes. But then you go down to Mobile, you see him in person. It's like at times he was one of the better quarterbacks down there. And it was hard for me at times to sort of separate the two. Did you have a similar experience with him? Yeah, I did. And I think that the the fun part about analog I've, I've really been gotten I've really gotten into this summer and really over the years, but this summer especially the idea of analyzing practice and what should we really be looking at and what should we um, plus um, place less weight on than we do. I mean, right now, you know, Jared Moyer and I just did did some work and talked about that this week, and and it was kind of funny because we're looking at you know you look at these amazing catches, and he did this great piece on the RSP site showing that two Hakeem Butler catches with the Cardinals, one that looks like an Odell Beckham catch, and he basically says ignore that. And when you see these types of catches, just just put follows away as they're doing what they're supposed to do, even though they look amazing. And then look for the more fundamentally sound type of plays. And where I'm going with that is that when you look at a player like Stidham in a practice like Mobile, when he's doing things that are maybe on the high end of athletic, you know, impressive athletically, the practice is kind of in a situation where a lot of the difficulty factors are removed from the game and from the drills and the scrimmages than what they are in a situation they're going to find in the NFL. So when you see that kind of work, it's not really fully integrated. So you want to see really fundamentally sound football. And he displayed a lot of that too. So when you see that, I think what I'm looking for is that if the guy's doing it well in practice and doing certain things well in practice, then it may come to him when the lights come on. But that's also the difficult part is that we see plenty of guys who flash well in practice. And then when the lights come on, it's time to perform all of the difficult aspects of football changing in the fight, you know, where the defenses show one play, you know, within three seconds of the snap and then completely shift their, their alignment in a way where that mm -hmm. play was disguised and what they're doing is disguised within the first two steps of your drop. Then how do you adjust to that is the, the big deal. Are you dictating things to the defense? Or are you letting the defense dictate it to you because of your mental processing so I think with practice, the difficult part with that is that beat writers, unless they're recording practices or having access to practice tape and can watch it over again and really study it, 
don't actually see that kind of thing. So, you know, most of the time I look at Stidham and I see what he did at the senior bowl and I, and I look at it more as a promising incremental step. And, and that's really all we have. And that's the difficult part with quarterbacking is that it is, has so many variables to how, how it works in terms of what you need from a player and all of those variables, every player, there's so many different, you know, kind of fingerprints to what makes a good quarterback. It's not just one type. There's not the Brady type. There's also the Mahomes type. There's also, you know, the Russell Wilson type. And they are each different. And that means that there are different combinations of how to get there. And some of it, you're going to have this kind of gap between what you know and what you hope to see. And I think with Stidham is we know that he's capable of doing thing, doing things in a fundamentally sound way or on the way to doing that. And then the next thing is, can that translate to games once he's in an environment where he can devote most of his time as a professional towards working to that goal? And that's kind of where we're at. Matt, let's move to the running back position, which is always an interesting one to try to figure out from a Patriots perspective, especially for those of you in the fantasy realm, because they change it so much week to week, <laughs> game by game. Like every time I get asked, like, who's going to be the workhorse back? And I'm just like, I have no idea. But obviously, the two young names, both SEC guys, are getting a lot of attention right now. Sony Michelle on one hand, Damian Harris on the other. Where were you on these guys? You know, I guess Michelle, when he came out, Harris in this draft. And how do you, if you had to pick, how do you see that battle sort of going down? Yeah, it's funny because the years ago I started, uh, I did a, a piece at footballguys.com where I'm a senior staff writer. And, and I wrote about how the Patriots use their running backs versus specific types of schemes. And it was probably the only time that I came close to actually guessing that thing correctly um, during so the season. And it is that to the point that I still have readers who will occasionally pop up on Twitter and say, so, so are you going to do a, an analysis of the Patriots running backs again? And I'm thinking, are you asking me to toss a coin in the fountain and make right. a wish? But looking at these two guys, I mean, it just comes down to that. Both are very talented. Sony Michelle and Damian Harris. Um, the, the big question is, does Sony the, when you can evaluate on tape, Sony Michelle is probably the more exciting back of the two. Um, obviously, the more explosive player. He is a terrific receiver out of the backfield. When you're using him in, in ways, you know, as a more of a checkdown player, and that's great. But do you know, as Gene Brammel would say, who is um, you know, who's a, a position and does a lot of injury work for us in football guys. You know, does he have the knees of a 50-year-old? Because that's the that's the question: is did did the Patriots end up drafting a player whose knees? You know, they said check out, but it, did, did, do they really? And did they age faster than they anticipated? You know, even within the span of a year, um, and that's the that's the difficult question there because we're looking at it, and they seem to be giving him the veteran plan in, in terms of his ability to practice and and allowing him to take it easy on, on that level. And if they're doing that right now, on the, on one end, that tells you that they feel comfortable with what Michelle gives to them when he is on the field. And and we've certainly seen that. And at the same time, the fact that they're doing it in year two is a big concern. And then it's compounded by the fact that they drafted Harris this early. 
And the thing with Harris is I look at Harris as kind of a Pierre Thomas plus type of player, a bigger guy than what Pierre Thomas was at New Orleans, but a, that same kind of versatile player. He can run between the tackles for you. He has just enough speed to probably get outside on design plays that are well blocked, and he's someone that can catch the ball and pass protect. And so he's an all-around good player. He may not have that special sauce that you know Sony Michelle had with his game-breaking speed, you know, when th- when he's fully healthy. But at the same time, Pierre Thomas is that type of back that, un- with a good offense, can get you the 1,300 yards. He can get you close to double-digit touchdowns. He's he's that good. So the the fact that he can step in and probably be in a rotation with Michelle, and you can have a one-two punch in terms of the interior running game, and then also have a three-headed backfield where you have James White into the mix. You know, it's fantastic. Now, guessing all that makes me laugh because I, you you know, because I kind of play every year, I play a devil's advocate type of role, and I take a look at at a a list of skill players who are kind of in the top 50 for fantasy drafts, and I joke around and say, all right, well, here's the Patriots. Name a name a receiving back who's had two years in a row of top twenty production on the Patriots, and the answer is that you can go as far back as as Kevin Falk, and the answer is you can't get a back. Right. Name one who's done that, and and you look at all the back. You know, in the past six years, there's been seven backs who've led the Patriots in production, seven different backs. So it's a you know, it's it's one of those situations. The only guy who's been the repeat customer has been LeGarrette Blunt, really, for the most part. Wow. Yeah, it's it's always such a hard position to figure out. Another hard position to figure out for the Patriots, both on the field and in the fantasy realm this year, is the wide receiver spot. And part of that might be the retirement of Rob Gronkowski, and you've got some other names into the mix. First-round draft pick, Nikhil Harry. Was he a smart pick for the Patriots, who have sometimes missed on early-round wide receivers in the past? Yeah, that's this is going to be a tough one. I think year one, people are going to say the answer is no, but you you're going to have to be patient with Harry, and you have to understand that that wide receiver usually is a patience play, even though we've seen guys, you know, probably, there's usually two to three guys every year who wind up performing very well in a situation, but this one doesn't do Nikhil Harry a lot of favors because of the fact that your your top veteran receivers. You know, Josh Gordon's on suspension. Demarius Thomas is, you know, recovering from injury. And, you know, Philip Dorsett is really more of a of a handy backup who can give you situational play um, if you're comparing him to the rest of the league. And so there's not a lot of help there to, to take coverage away or to give really nice mismatches to a guy like Harry. Physically, I think... I think you look at a guy like Harry and say, yes, he's worth an early round pick. And he's very good at catching the football, at least, you know, when you watch his game tape, he's been very good at that. Um, And he's capable of really, really amazing athletic plays, plays that translate well to the NFL. But you're looking for consistency as a route runner, getting off the line of scrimmage, being able to, to earn separation. And that was not his strength at um, Arizona State. It never was. So the idea that he's having difficulty separating early on in camp, that you know that he's getting well covered and that maybe even he's not having the most consistent time catching passes, a lot of that probably is owed up to the fact that he was never a great separator and that he needed to go to a team that in theory would be able to give him 
mismatches or a lot of space as more of a slot player. So mm-hmm. when I looked at this pick, my initial thought was, are they, you know, are, are they going to use him as a big slot player? Because that's where he fits best. And the big question is, is he going to be able to make the transition to really being an outside presence? Because you look at a guy in contrast like A.J. Brown with the mm-hmm. with the Tennessee Titans, and while people say, well, he won't be used outside a lot, he's going to be used outside, and how good he can really be. Well, I mean, he is speedy. He is also a guy that they're going to work inside in ways where they'll motion him from the outside in and then have him run, you know, intermediate routes from more of a slot receiver position, even if Adam Humphreys is on the field with them, who is that they're the Titan slot receiver. In this case, will they do the same with Harry and, and use him paired up with Julian Edelman in a way where the, they can do that? The, the, the initial answer to me seems like they're not doing that as much. And so that means that he's going to have to play outside early. And I think that's a bit of a mismatch for him. You know, it seems like every training camp, there's sort of an unknown commodity at the wide receiver position that sort of catches fire. I believe it was Austin Carr a couple of years ago. Jacoby Myers out of NC State, perhaps in contrast a bit to Harry, who was coming up with higher expectations, seems to be getting some buzz. Where were you on Myers when you studied him? Yeah, I mean, I had him definitely lower than Harry in terms of potential, but he's a guy who I certainly saw as being able to make a contribution to a team as maybe a high-end reserve over the period of time. And I think that when you see a player like Harry struggle, and then in contrast, see a guy like Myers perform competently, then you're, you know, that buzz factor is going to look even higher. And I think with with Myers, what you're going to get out of him is. He is very good after the catch. You know, he has a quarterback, running quarterbacks kind of mentality. He used to be a quarterback. He's someone that obviously, as a former quarterback, has a better, has a little bit of a wider purview or perspective of what's going on with routes and coverages. And you can see that in terms of his play. He's someone that I think does a pretty good job of separating. He's he's someone that can play physical football. He understands, you know, he's, he's good at the catch point. He can do little things late in his routes to earn separation. And I think that he's one of those guys that, that you always see at the wide receiver position that outplay their draft status because so much of what you see with, I would call, big box NFL evaluation mm-hmm. is about high-end athletic ability. And when guys just meet the minimums, uh, of what you're looking for in the athletic metrics, usually they get pushed down further in in the draft in, in terms of what their grade's going to be, but they're still competent. The same thing happens to running backs. So Jacoby Myers, you know, I, I joke that Peyton Barber's a good running I say Peyton Barber's a good running back, and there's a lot of my fans who, you know, kind of joke about that because he doesn't have wow metrics. Um, but he certainly held off a number of players in Tampa. I would kind of say Jacoby Myers is like one of the Peyton Barbers of, of wide receivers. You know, he's he's not great athletically, but he understands the game and he'll only get better. It's just a matter whether the team will give him a chance to earn that opportunity on the field. And if they give him the chance to earn it on the field, he's a guy that will probably produce for you. But they'll always be looking for a more athletic player based on how the NFL has been. Matt, let me get you out of here on this. Obviously, this is a Patriots show, but let's sort of take a step back and look maybe at the AFC East. 
I liked a lot of what the other teams in this division did this offseason. I liked some of the picks that the Jets and the Bills made. I'm still a Josh Rosen guy, so even though they just released the depth chart down in Miami with Fitzpatrick as the quarterback one right now, I'm still a Josh Rosen believer. So I like a lot of what the AFC East teams have done to try to catch up to the Patriots. Do you see one of these teams perhaps threatening New England, if not this year, at least next year? It's funny. I think maybe next year they will truly threaten New England. And it could either be, I think, the Jets or the Bills right now. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that that's because the Bills have the def- have the defense right now that's really going to – they're young. You've got the cornerbacks that you're looking for in white um, as well as what they have in their secondary. They obviously have – you know, some strength and athletic linebackers. Um, and, and they usually are pretty good up front. It's just a matter of whether Josh Allen can develop the mentality that you need as a quarterback to, to really process the game at a higher level. And if he does on a consistent basis, they can be dangerous. Sam Darnold's a guy who I think gives you that Matthew Stafford fighting chance, regardless of what the line does. It's just, um, again, where, yeah, and you could say the same about Allen, but I think Darnold processes the game a little bit better. It's just that he can take some risks that are that can be a little bit confounding. But I like the weapons that they have. Obviously, adding a, a running back the caliber of Le'Veon Bell is is a big deal. And you know, Robbie Anderson has been a very good receiver who's I think only getting better. And that they are developing a bit of. It looks like they're going to develop more of a. Um, physical mentality when you add guys like Bell and Wesco and and being able to you know Trevon Wesco the tight end who's kind of more of an H back that could be kind of interesting there so those two teams really I think have a chance to maybe fight for what looks like by midseason they're fighting for a wild card position um, but it's going to take the Patriots really just having a profoundly disappointing season for I think either of those teams to catch up to New England this year. Matt, fantastic stuff as always. Please let the listeners know where they can find you and your work if, obviously, they've been living under a rock for the past couple of years and they don't exactly know who you are. Sure. You can find me at mattwaldmanrsp.com. That's my site at Twitter, at Matt Waldman, W-A-L-D-M-A-N. And I have a YouTube channel um, that's called the Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room where you can see a lot of insights. And Mark is a frequent guest on those where we do film room um, explorations of 30 minutes to an hour on players together, as well as um, my podcast, Matt Waldman's RSP cast. You can find it pretty much on any outlet that you subscribe to podcasts with. Fantastic stuff as always, Matt. Please, friends, do check him out and all his work over there at the Matt Waldman RSP. Again, if you want to win your leagues, you got to be reading this stuff. Also, check out footballguys.com. That will do it. Episode one in the books. Glad you made it this far. I'll be back soon. Again, please like, subscribe, leave reviews over at iTunes. I'll be back later this week. Until next time, everybody, continue and keep on. Blessed those Patriots reigns down in Foxborough.